You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. In 1999, JCO declared pain to be the fifth vital sign. After all, acute pain is reported as a presenting complaint in over 80% of all physician visits in the United States. Chronic pain affects more people than diabetes, heart disease, and cancer combined. Has there been any real improvement in identifying and treating pain since the JCO edict? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, and with me today is Dr. Joe Sam Robinson. Dr. Robinson is an acclaimed neurosurgeon practicing in Macon, Georgia, and the president of the Georgia State Board of Physicians Workforce. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Robinson. Great to be with you today. Tell us about the JCO guidelines for pain for those of us who aren't familiar. Well, maybe I could start by just discussing the nature of JCO for uh, listeners that might not be quite aware of what that organization is, but it's the uh, Joint Commission on Accreditation of Healthcare Organizations, and that's an extremely powerful quasi-government entity that basically accredits all kinds of healthcare facilities in the country, and if they withdraw the accreditation, uh, that institution would lose its ability to be paid for Medicare patients. So it's an extremely uh, powerful organization. And for a number of years, they've been focusing on trying to improve different aspects in the American healthcare system. Starting in about 1992, there was a lot of discussion about the idea that patients were not appropriately being treated for pain, that many times their symptoms were being neglected. So after some period of preliminary discussion in 1999, JCO instituted a series of requirements for hospitals, home care agencies, outpatient clinics, extended care facilities, and behavioral health care facilities in relation to pain management. And in general, there were a number of parts of this edict. Most of them are rather vaguely stated and not really controversial. For instance, they recognize the right of patients to appropriate assessment and manage of pain. They require the assessment of pain in all patients. They require the recording of the results of the assessment in a way that facilitates regular reassessment and follow-up. They require the irrelevant providers in pain assessment and management to be appropriately trained. They also have a patient's bill of rights which require the patient be informed that his pain will be believed, that they uh, give the patient information about pain and pain relief measures, and they emphasize the patient's right to a quick response to reports of pain, and they uh, assure the patient that there'll be a concerned staff committed to pain prevention and management and caring for them. Essentially, what transpired after that is that it became mandated that some kind of pain scaling be uh, instituted. And that's, that's pretty much the case all around the country now. So how do we measure pain? Maybe we could just start by saying, what is pain? From a, a narrow neurophysiological point of view, it's impulses that are directed up from noxious receptors, different parts of the body, up through the pain pathways into the brain where it reaches a consciousness. So the pain itself is a very narrow kind of electrophysiological uh, impulse. But what we commonly define as pain is actually the patient's perception of suffering. And this, this turns out to be quite difficult to measure. It's, uh, one can take a giant squid axon and put some electrodes in it and see the degree of stimulus that's going through that axon. But to actually be able to assess human suffering turns out to be quite difficult. 
And there are different kinds of scaling devices or, or methodologies that are employed to assess this, which require patient collaboration and cooperation. The, pain, the patient generally says how much they hurt or don't hurt. Additionally, there are tests where we can get some idea of the amount of neuronal stimulation that's occurring in the brain, for instance, PET scans and spectrographic MRIs, and we can get some idea objectively of pain that the patient is experiencing. Now, if we're using pain as the fifth vital sign, as as JCO mandates, shouldn't we all be using a uniform method of measurement? Well, the difficulty, there are lots of difficulties with that. Number one is, it's such a subjective, difficult thing to measure. There are lots of cultural variations. And so the numerous scales that are out there haven't really been validated in an appropriate way. In fact, the most popular one, which is it goes 1 through 10 scale, was an important study that came out of one of the VA hospitals in California saying that it really didn't make too much difference whether it was employed or not. So you wouldn't want to, in my opinion, have a uniform scale nationwide unless you could prove that it actually was very effective. So since that's not the case, many different, I guess, institutions are pursuing different ways to measure pain. What do you use in your practice? Well, we use, just for our purposes, we use the standard, which I just cruised, 1 through 10 scale, and also something called the Waleed Robinson scale, which puts in the degree of time the patient has experienced pain, so we come out with some numbers. Having said that, these scales are still not satisfactory, and if, if one could come up with a really good pain scale where it would have universal applicability, this would be an extraordinary breakthrough. It would be huge. It would be, I think, worthy of the Nobel Prize. That's how important it would be. Well, certainly compared to the other vital signs, which are very standard, like blood pressure and pulse, it does seem kind of fuzzy to me. Well, the difficulty is the subjectivity of the whole situation. When you have a patient that may have many different things influencing his or her degree of suffering, it's very difficult to have a a direct number. The patient may be more afraid than in pain, and what the patient may really be recording is the presence of fear. Additionally, if you think about the linguistic difficulties in words, If you're a little boy or little girl and you uh, tripped and hurt your foot, you don't tell your mother that's a grade two pain or grade three, or your mother doesn't say, is it grade four? So as a result, the idea of quantitating pain in a numerical fashion is something very difficult to do. And a, a grade seven for some people might be a grade two for another person. So there's not any kind of similarity in the scale for different people. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Joe Sam Robinson. We are discussing pain as the fifth vital sign. So, Dr. Robinson, what's the downside of using these scales other than no validity, no interpatient reliability? What else is a problem here? Well, we could just go through a number of things, Leslie. Firstly, just to make this comment, there's never, besides the fact that there's never been any validation of these scales, they're extraordinarily expensive to undertake. So they cost an enormous amount of money. They take a huge amount of nursing time. They distract all kinds of tensions the patient might better receive if they weren't there. Additionally, sometimes they blunt the healthcare provider's connection with his patient. So many times it's better to get sort of a subjective idea about the degree of pain the patient and then act appropriately as opposed to just making things numerical. Just to continue along those ideas, pain may well not be linear. 
So there are different shapes of curves. There can be linear pain where the pain is increasing in a direct fashion. There's the difference between 5 and 6 is 10%. Between 6 and 7 is 10%. It may well be the real difference only starts to occur between 8 and 9. So there might be a different shape curve, and that might defeat some of the simplicity of the system. Additionally, many patients, the, the, the predisposition or, or presumption on this is the patients are lucid and able to communicate. And many patients that are in, in a hospital setting have some degree of compromise in the lucidity, so that won't work. Probably one of the biggest difficulties with this, this kind of pain scale is there's a difference between chronic and acute pain. A chronic, and there have been studies in, in this regard, a person that suffers with substantial chronic pain often tends to overstate their pain and, and tends to be pretty much a standard grade a 10 and thus ask for the maximum amount of pain medicine. So if there's some kind of automatic response to putting 10 down, that would encourage drug addiction and drug dependency. So just by relying on something so simple, it does satisfy the bureaucratic predisposition to try and correct errors. On the other hand, the sophistication needed to treat patients is lost when this kind of scale is enforced. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Robinson, any suggestions on how to improve the system we're, we're kind of mandated to use? Well, you know, I think there are a number of things that could be done. One would be, if firstly, I think the idea of having different centers conduct appropriate research would be a good thing. The idea of looking into fear and hopelessness at the same time that you're trying to scale for pain, I think that would be a useful thing. So it might well be that the person is suffering more because they're fearful. And being able to understand that might allow an appropriate response to diminish the patient's suffering. Additionally, I like the idea of lots of attention toward objectivity in human suffering, which we might be able to obtain by using spectrographic MRI studies and PET scans So we actually see what part of the brain is being stimulated. We might be able to then correlate that with different kinds of pain scales. But probably the most important thing that needs to be done with pain scaling is that we need to be able to establish a connection between benefit and use of the scale. So we need to be able to say we've we've employed this type of scale, we've employed this kind of therapy, and this has been the result. And the outcome analysis needs to be a very broad, appropriate outcome analysis. It also puts in place financial issues because we have a, our healthcare system is under a substantial assault. And uh, as physicians, we need to try and, besides looking after patients, we need to be good custodians of the nation's healthcare dollar and use it to uh, best advantage. Absolutely. And, and again, it seems like the provider fears are at both ends of the extreme, that either we're not treating the patients who are in pain or we're perhaps over-treating the patients who aren't in pain. Yes, and there's been very little discussion about the number of people that have difficulties with substance abuse that might have been encouraged by two doctrinaire observation of government mandates. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Well, it's been great to chat with you, Leslie. We've been speaking with Dr. Joe Sam Robinson, a Macon, Georgia neurosurgeon, about using pain as the fifth vital sign. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and downloadable podcast, visit our website at www.reachmd.com. If you have comments or questions about today's show, please give us a ring at 888-MD-XM-157. 
Thank you for listening. 